You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. John Harper, Vice President of Clinical Sciences, LifeCell Corporation in New Jersey, and Adjunct Professor of Biomedical Science at the University of Texas in Houston. Today, we are discussing bioprosthetics. Welcome, Dr. Harper. Thank you, Dr. Hill. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Harper, bioprosthetics are an adjunct to wound healing, and in surgery, wound healing is a critical subject. Could you expand upon wound healing for us? Well, Mark, the wound healing process is something that we take for granted. It's a highly evolved process that we go through when we have a soft tissue injury. And unfortunately, if we have conditions or health issues that impair healing, that healing process cannot go so well. Unfortunately, as patients develop significant comorbid conditions or or situations, clinical health issues that we know affect healing, it's more difficult for the surgeon to take care of them. And I know that physicians out there know that when your patients have surgery and they come back to you for follow-up, if they're obese or they're smokers, we know that they, uh, they have difficulties uh, healing. So with that process in mind, surgeons are really after tools to help them enhance the ability to take care of these patients. What is the biological process of wound healing in a nutshell? The process involves, first, the body lays down a provisional scaffold. And this is a scaffold of fibrin. It's, we, we would look at it as the blood clot. And the blood clot really organizes the healing process. The blood clot itself is not very strong. It's really up to the body to take the blood clot, break it down, and replace it with collagen. And that collagen, over time, turns into a scar. We're all familiar with what what a scar is. And the scar, obviously, has difficulties. Those of us in this field look at scar tissue as something that is necessary. It's certainly been necessary for us to evolve for survival. But in many cases, it's not really sufficient when it comes to function. For example, if you have scars in the axilla or under the neck or certain other joints, uh, we know that that can contract and impair function. So scarring is necessary for survival, but it is sometimes not a good thing when it comes to restoring uh, the patient's function, getting them back to, to normal. Then what can we do to supplement the wound healing in addition to just a scar formation? There's actually a process that goes on during fetal development. Now, as we're developing in the fetus, if there's a soft tissue injury, let's say you, do, you have some trauma or you do surgery on the unborn fetus, because we're depositing soft tissues from the very beginning, we can restore that soft tissue, replace it by a process we call regeneration. In fact, the fetus really doesn't really have the ability to heal by repair like the adult does, but they replace soft tissue by regeneration. And after birth, Uh, we change the way we replace soft tissue. We can no longer restore skin, for example, or tendon or fascia back to its normal structure, but we replace it by this scarring process. So the goal of regeneration is really to try to provide tools for the surgeon that he or she can try to reproduce this regenerative process that occurs during fetal development in the adult so that rather than lay down scar tissue, the person's body lays down soft tissue that's more like what they had before they had their injury. Why is scar tissue not optimal? Well, scar tissue is really not optimal in many cases because, number one, the metabolic features are different than normal, stru- normal uh, tissue as well as the biomechanical structure 
and features of that. The scar tissue is different than normal tissue. We know that scars are typically very labile. You can bump them, you can scrape them, and the skin will survive that bump or scrape, but the scar will break down. That's because that tissue is, is not, that, uh, not that strong or robust. We also know that, uh, as you know as a surgeon, Dr. Hill, that 10 to 15% of every laparotomy incision results in a hernia. And that's because that healing line is just not as strong as the skin was and as the fascia was when, before uh, you started operating. So that's an indication of you cut tissue, sew it back together, especially fascia, something that has biomechanical forces around it. And 10 or 15% of the time, that tissue will fail and it will not hold the intra-abdominal pressure and that person will develop an incisional hernia. And likewise, what would be the great advantage of the regenerative process in wound healing? Well, we would think that if we provided a scaffold in that tissue deficit, that the tissue that results from the regenerative process on that scaffold would be stronger. It would have biomechanical properties more normal, more similar to normal tissue. Now, we're talking about scaffold. Are you referring now to bioprosthetics? That's what I'm referring to. Uh, We know that surgeons have had tools that they've used for many years, synthetic materials, polypropylene, Gore-Tex, and other types of synthetics to help reinforce tissues when tissues need reinforcing. These materials, uh, because they're inert, they're designed so that the body can't grow into them, but they, and they don't see them as something foreign. But unfortunately, the body does see it as foreign because it can't grow into it. So the body grows around it or encapsulates it. And historically, you look at the literature, we know that, that synthetic materials are really at some known risk of long-term infection because the body grows around them. Bacteria can work their way in to places that our immune system can't go. And so these, these tissues are, are, are more prone to, to infection long-term. And when I mean long-term, I mean maybe three to five years post-op. So with a bio, bioprosthesis, our objective would be to provide a scaffold that the patient's fibroblasts and blood vessels can grow into and it can become integrated and regenerate their tissues around this scaffold so that if white blood cells need to go in and fight a bacteria, they can do that. If there are bacteria in the area, you have capillaries, uh, so these cells can, can go out of the circulation and kill the bacteria. We can also treat these patients medically with antibiotics if it's vascular. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and I am speaking with Dr. John Harper, and we are discussing bioprosthetics. Dr. Harper, we have been discussing encapsulation of different prosthetics, such as plastic polypropylene prosthetics. And you have discussed that antibiotics can't get to this, bacteria can get to this. What are really the disadvantages of having a prosthetic encapsulated? Well, when, you, when the body develops an encapsulation, it's our highly evolved mechanism of getting rid of a foreign body. And we form a capsule or scar tissue around the foreign body, and then the next thing that happens is that that capsule begins to contract with the, with the uh, a goal of trying to extrude or eliminate the foreign body. Once the capsule forms around a foreign body, the inner portion that is encapsulated, uh, it is susceptible to bacteria finding its way into inside the capsule. I think most people don't really think about this, but... Our body isn't sterile. We have bacteria all throughout our body. And our general health is really a balance between the bacteria in our body and our ability to fight it off. When you put a foreign body in place, 
a lot of the things that we use to make a foreign body response are the same things that we use to fight bacteria. So we're kind of occupying our system. It's like the firemen are at the fire. So if you have another fire somewhere, the body has a hard time fighting it off. Um, So bacteria can get inside the capsule. White blood cells uh, and antibiotics can't get in to fight the bacteria. And therefore, what can be a very low-level contamination can become a clinical infection in a matter of days. The process of producing plastic prosthetics, meshes, so Mm -hmm, to speak, mm -hmm. have always used the term inert. Now, do all of these plastic meshes that are inert still encapsulate? They are inert to some degree, but I think that we've seen that when you have a foreign body like plastic inside uh, a patient, that there are forces because of the difference between the plastic and the surrounding tissue. These forces that are constantly rubbing on the plastic will cause an inflammatory reaction, which leads to this foreign body response and the encapsulation response. So it may be chemically inert, but I think biologically inert is, is not quite accurate. I think there are scarring reactions that happen. And sometimes when you think of a mesh, like a screen on a, on a screen door, the body will scar around these fibers, and it will look like the mesh is incorporated, but what's really happening is that the, the body is scarring or encapsulating the individual fibers of the mesh. And if something happens and there's a long-term infection, uh, as you know, you have to resect the whole thing. And sometimes it may mean taking out the whole abdominal wall, leaving the patient with this big defect. So I think that maybe the incidence of that is low, but the morbidity is very, very high when that happens. Well, with the exclusion of those few percentage that get into big trouble, how then does this encapsulation and problem manifest itself clinically? Well, I think that uh, we see a lot of patients coming back They can feel the mesh in their abdomen. It's like something always there. It may not be a true pain, but it's something that they're always aware of. So it affects their daily life. When they're walking upstairs or they're sitting down or bending over to tie their shoes, obviously the abdominal wall loses its compliance. Uh, When we bend over to tie our shoes, our intra-abdominal pressure is redistributed. Sometimes our belly bulges out. Well, if you have a plastic mesh in there, that doesn't really happen. Sometimes it may tug on the surrounding area. The scarring response can often entrap nerves. If scar tissue uh, incarcerates a nerve, then every time that scar pulls on that nerve, the patient's going to experience pain. So it, I, I would say that generally it's just a quality of life issue. Patients are in sometimes chronic pain and probably more often a chronic discomfort. So if I understand you correctly, that any plastic prosthetic that is placed in the abdominal wall or anywhere will elicit this scar fibrous response, and an encapsulation, which is not ideal and very different from the regenerative process. That's correct. And I think if it's a woven product, then you have that process occurring around the fibers. If it's a sheet of plastic, then the whole sheet may become encapsulated. In that case, it's a little different, which you have a, a space, potential space, between the sheet and the, the scar, and that's, that's places where fluid can collect, and that fluid can become infected, and then you have a, a nightmare on your hands. Was this the impetus for your company developing a bioprosthetic as opposed to a new piece of plastic to be placed in the abdomen? Actually, the actual impetus and and thinking around developing this bioprosthesis started with the idea that the structural part of tissue, we call it the extracellular matrix, it has a very important function, and it functions to organize our tissues Uh, The cells that are growing around in our tissues are responding to signals in that matrix. So our idea was to try to take that scaffold that's performing a function in the body 
isolate it, make it transplantable across different people. And, and so once you put it into a patient, then the patient can incorporate it, and it would perform exactly like it did in the original, where the original tissue was. And this involves no foreign body. In other words, no plastic, no artificial substance. Is that correct? That's correct. This is taking the, the matrix out of skin, actually, in the case of the, of the bioprosthesis that we're talking about today. Take the matrix of skin, putting it into a patient, and having that patient integrate it and incorporate it into their own tissues. I want to thank Dr. John Harper, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing bioprosthetics. I am Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, your host, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.